Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com explore. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, Eric alongside Rod here. We're going to discuss the post-game for the 63-70 loss by Michigan State to the Northwestern Wildcats in the Big Ten opener at the Breslin Center. A disappointing start to the season, obviously, for the Big Ten marks. Um, you know, everything was done with Christmas. I was pretty excited. All the decorations are up, Rod. Uh, and then on our way to the game, my wife said, ah, I'm just not going to bother getting Michigan State gear on. I'm just going to stay sort of the clothes I had on. And she said, if they lose, you can blame me. So we can all blame my do- my wife uh, for what happened at the Breslin Center. Uh, before we start in the discussion, though, I did want to thank uh, new donor Jeffrey Luderek. Thanks so much for a one-time gift for, via PayPal. If you want to support the show, we really appreciate it. It helps a lot. Uh, you can go to thefinalfoursontheschedule.com slash support and find ways to either be a monthly donor uh, or you can be one, give one-time gifts via Venmo or pay, PayPal. Uh, we also have our t-shirts finalized. We have the uh, the mock-up is on the website, or will be soon if it's not there right now. Uh, when you take a look, so you can go to the finalfoursontheschedule.com and you can go to merchandise. Uh, there you can see this the, the logo. It's pretty cool, so I'm actually looking forward to the shirt. It's, it's actually a high-quality shirt T-shirt too. It's green with a white logo, and all your friends, all the other Spartan friends and family, will want one. We can't make any guarantees. We're going to try and get an order in by the end of next week, so Friday. Was at the ninth. Uh, can't make any guarantees for Christmas or anything like that with all the kind of weird supply issues. That'd be our hope, but you know we'll just kind of see how that goes. T-shirts will be going for twenty-five dollars. You can obviously go to the page and just pay via PayPal, and you can just leave your address and um, size and quantity that you want. Uh, also, the contest is closed for the free T-shirt. There was one person who signed up maybe six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, and I lost your. And I apologize, I lost your um, your picks. I've been looking in all the email folders and you know how it is sometimes, they just kind of get lost. So if that was you and you're one of the first ones to jump on the ba- in the on the bandwagon to get onto the contest, please send me your picks and you'll still be added. And then also, finally, Mike Garland, has re- recently retired assistant head coach, will be joining us after the post game, after the Penn State game, and hopefully we'll be discussing a victory. And so, Rod, I was there, and the one good thing I can say about the game is the heckler wasn't there today, so that actually made it a lot more enjoyable because, boy, he would have been made that game even uh, more painful, especially the end with, I could only imagine how many times he's screaming for more fouls. Uh, it was a weird game because I have no wireless, and so, you know, I think Northwestern was a good team. Um, they played good defense. They obviously scored a lot and shot a lot better than we probably expected when we talked to, to the pregame show. And when I look at the the statistics in the in the in the arena, I see you know three point shooting is about the same. Actually, their three point shooting is a little bit worse than ours. Uh, two the overall field goal percentage is the same. Rebounds are the same. We had 
basically the same amount of turnovers, same amount of blocks. And then there's a disparity in the score of like you know, seven or eight points. And I couldn't understand until after the game we were going back and I was listening to the post-game show where they, you know, they had, sounds like they had you know, twice as many free throws, which was obviously the main difference in the game. It felt like they were, they were shooting more free throws, but it wasn't like they were getting a lot of extra calls. I didn't feel like, like it seemed like they just, it was mainly because we were out of position on defense. And I think, you know, if anything that this one game shows, I mean, Northwestern is not a great team. I don't think we're going to look back and say, wow, they lost it. Northwestern really surprised a lot of people. I think they're okay team. Uh, but it's, it shows you it's going to be, it's not easy going to even going 500 in this league this season. I think, you know, there are, you can see a Northwest or Nebraska going into Creighton and beating Creighton on their home court, which is weird. Yep. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be a tough year and not having Malik Hall I think affects us more than I probably appreciated uh you know especially the defensive end because there are just so many problems and I don't know that you can't sugarcoat this one you can't explain it away to scheduling or any of this sort of things it's not uh-huh. like Northwestern shot you know 65% or something from 3 it wasn't they weren't amazing they just we just couldn't stop their ball screens I felt like it's the main problem on defense yeah um and that was surprising to me, but I'll I'll get into why. Um, a very very disheartening loss. Um, let's put it that way. It's it's the first time this year that they've lost a game, and uh, and I'm really bothered by it. And if I'm bothered by it, you know, I mean, <laughs> come on, yeah. yeah. Uh, where, where's Tom Izzo at? Um, the game was lost defensively. I, I I don't think there's any doubt about it. Um, and you hit on exactly why. Uh, if you look at the field goal percentage stuff, eh, given, if you're really playing Michigan State defense, Northwestern shouldn't break 40% on you overall. So that was a little higher than you'd want, but that wasn't a disaster. They didn't burn the nets up from three. Although I will say the ones they hit um, were extremely poorly guarded. Let's put it that way. Um, Michigan State was, there were many times where they were just simply not executing the way you need to, uh, especially when you know that this team, as we talked about, is so guard dependent for their offense. I mean, look at the, the three guys in double digits were their three guards. It's not a surprise. Yeah. We knew it. But but the fundamental problem was and you have to you have to put this into the equation with the field goal percentage stuff, because otherwise you're not getting a true picture. Northwestern, a team that averages 12 free throw attempts a game, I believe had I don't know the stats in front of me. I believe had 24. They were 21 of 24. Yeah. So double the number of free throws they typically attempt. Now, give them some credit because I think they were more aggressive. You know, the, the, the two times I've seen them, I saw a little bit of their, their game against Auburn, and then I saw a lot of their absolute debacle against Pitt. Um, and in neither of those games were they this aggressive. So I'll give it to them for that. But mostly, that's a Michigan State problem. Michigan State could not keep their guards away from the rim. And Northwestern was consistently able to draw fouls with that. Now, I will say this. Uh, I, you know, Izzo in his post-game comments talked about Michigan State getting out-toughed, and I, I agree with that. That said, 
uh, that officiating crew, I don't think made mistakes as much as they let a lot of stuff go that I think they probably shouldn't have Michigan state in the second half. And this is not to excuse any of it, but there was a lot of contact on stuff at the rim that in my mind should have been called and wasn't now the other end of that is they were pretty consistent in that. And I'm not saying what I'm talking about is an excuse for the disparity. Northwestern was the more consistently aggressive team. Therefore they got the benefit of whatever fouls were called, but that was a very physical game. And I don't think it was officiated the way I would normally expect a very physical game to be officiated. And I think that hurt Michigan state, but again, no excuses. You have to adjust to that as a team. I'm just describing it rather than saying, well, that's blame. There's blame there. Um, I'll give you a, a good example the, the last Hogard bucket, which I think yeah. is what cut it to one, that was a foul. Yeah. It was clear. I mean, and you were in the arena. I was watching at home. It's a foul. The guy, you know, you could you could talk and chant principle of verticality as much as you want. Sorry. The kid came across the lane, bumped him with his chest. That's a foul. It just is. And they didn't call it. Okay. I could be upset about that, but then I have to keep in mind they've been consistent with that the fouls that Michigan state tended to get called for most of those, I don't think were very questionable. So, you know, you could say, well, Michigan state didn't do as good a job of walking to that borderline between physicality and fouling as Northwestern did. And maybe that's where the truth lies, but um, regardless, Michigan state's inability to keep Northwestern out of the lane and continue to foul them, killed them, absolutely yeah. killed them. Um, you know, we talked about in the pregame having that this was a game that it looked like there were might there might be the possibility of having more opportunities to score because you figure you'd have a little edge on the boards, maybe an edge in turnovers. As it turned out, those areas were pretty much even. You know, mm-hmm. between the two, Michigan State slight advantage on the boards, Northwestern slight advantage in turnovers. Um, but the the real difference in terms of opportunities to score was Northwestern's ability to get to the line. And then again, to their credit, twenty one to twenty four, they didn't leave many points out there. You know, they hit. I mean, when no offense to Matt Nicholson, you know, I've heard he's a great kid. Um, played at the Clark's and all throw. that, but yeah, when, when he's going, I think he went four for four, the first one of which was banked. It's not your night. <laughs> it's yeah. just not your night. So it wasn't all, you know, Bo Bowie shot a load of free throws, but it wasn't all 24 from him. I think he went nine for nine. Um, and so that was the ball game. It was, it was that, but, but I also want to turn to something. And again, you didn't have the benefit of watching the broadcast. I did. So there was something I would imagine many of our listeners did. There was something in that broadcast that I've got to speak to because it was such hackery on the part of the broadcast (laughs) team and Stephen Bardo, who's the color guy. And I normally think, you know, I think Stephen Bardo on balance is, is pretty okay. I don't think he's the best. I don't think he's terrible, but there's this, it's, it's said so often 
in broadcast now that it's become kind of a joke. It's a cliche. We're going to say they don't need a three here, right? You hear that? Yeah. How many times do you hear that? Okay. Michigan State's last real possession, 24 seconds left, down three. After, um, I believe it was after Bowie, Bowie got that, yeah, hit hit that shot, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Which I'll get back to because that was an example of where the problems were um, defensively. But Michigan State has the ball, 24 seconds left. You're down three. You have an opportunity to tie the game. The issue there was Michigan State had only committed four fouls in the second half. Now, they, they getting back to the free throw thing, they must have all been shooting fouls at that point. Yeah, Northwestern right. was still getting free throws, but they weren't anywhere near being in the bonus is my point. When that is the situation, no, you need to take a three, in my opinion, because even if you say the, the usual logic is, hey, if you score quickly with a two, then you can defend hard. Maybe you generate a turnover. And if not, you foul them and, you know, it becomes a free throw shooting contest. You lengthen the game. Not the situation here. Michigan State needed to commit three more fouls to put Northwestern in a one and one. So Stephen Bardo's line, they add the, the play-by-play guy asked him, and that was his line. It's this usual, no, no, I don't think they need a three. They should go AJ Hogarth going to the rim. That's what that's the play in my mind. And I I, I could scarcely believe that I'm hearing it. You have to be aware. Now, now, I'm saying all this, not just to bag on Stephen Bardo. Um, I am going to assume, because Michigan State has a Hall of Fame head coach, that it was expressed to his team what the situation was. But assuming that, his fifth-year senior, Joey Hauser, did not get the message. Because Joey Hauser ended up with the ball in the corner, if you recall. And Chase Audij was kind of in the area, but not locked on him. Joey Hauser had two legitimate choices in that moment. I think there were like 12 or 13 seconds left, something like that. Maybe a little more even, maybe 14. His choices were, one, take the three. And I think he had an opportunity if he had gone, if he had been in a ready to shoot situation and had gone up with it upon receiving the pass, I uh, would have been semi-contested because as I said, Audige was still in the area, but Joey could have got, it was a, it was at least a semi-clean look. And frankly, when you're in that situation, sometimes that's the best you're going to get, mm-hmm. or he could have chosen to pass it and keep the possession alive. The only poor decision is the one he made which was to attempt to go to the rim. He misses the shot. Northwestern gets the rebound and, you know, they get fouled and that's ball game. You can't have that because exactly what happened is, is the reason why you can't have that. He goes in, takes a shot, misses it. Even if he'd hit it, it would have been a disaster because then Michigan state is still down one but you have whatever, 14 seconds, 13 seconds left, and they've got to commit three fouls to get Northwestern into the penalty and shooting free throws. That's just not how you play that situation. So I have to put the responsibility on Joey Hauser. 
you have to be smarter. You are a veteran. You have to know situations. And I mean, that that might strike people as a little strong, but hey, it's big time college athletics. So to me, that was a massive mistake in a moment where Michigan State still had a chance to lengthen this game and just the absolute wrong decisions being made across the board. I can take that as an example of what the problem was in general. A lot of bad decisions. Um, (laughs) So that one really, I just wanted to get that off my chest because this has become this mantra of you don't need a three has become such a cliche. I mean, what it reminded me of is if you recall last year in the NCAA tournament game, the second round game, the MSU lost to Duke. Duke was in that situation. And for a minute, it looked like it was going to bite them. They had only committed, I think, three or four fouls at at the under four timeout. And I remember being very well aware of it thinking, hey, they've got a problem. Now, as it turned out, they ended up winning the game. It didn't it didn't come into play. But the point is, it could have, you know, you're always grateful to not be committing a bunch of fouls. But man, in a tight game, when you're on the, the downside of it, that's a bad spot to be in. And that is exactly where Michigan State was. And it it has to dictate how you look at a possession with 24 seconds left in the game. It has to, you know. And I don't care. They could have scored with 21 seconds left on the clock, scored a two. And I'd still have felt that way because of the situation they were going to be in to try to get Northwestern to the free throw line. So anyway, I've got that off my chest. I don't I don't know how that came off in the arena, but on the broadcast, I could scarcely believe what I was hearing on the one hand. Then on the other, I've heard announcers utter this stupid cliche so many times I shouldn't be surprised, (laughs) except it's an ex player. Shouldn't Stephen Bardo be able to look at what I looked at and realize, oh, no, that's not going to work here. Um, anyway, yeah, the, the well, possession- I was a dumb guy in the stands and I and I didn't even realize there were only, that we only committed that many fouls because it felt like they were on the line quite a bit. That's why I was surprised that only what I four say fouls all, committed. all four fouls. So, I could go back and look, but I'm going to guess at least three of the four fouls they committed up to that point had to be shooting fouls. Because Northwestern was, they, they were shooting free throws a lot. Um, I, I also want to go back to the possession before that, the one that Bowie scored to make it a three-point game. Um, that was the essence of the problem tonight. And not the only problem, but the most important part in my mind, and you said it, ball screen defense. Uh, I had been told by someone who would know that Izzo – off the record said to a media member um, yesterday how Madi Sissoko had been fantastic in practice on ball screen defense. Just fantastic. Executing perfectly. Reading it. Reactions were where they needed to be. All of it. On that possession, and it wasn't the only time it happened, Boo Booey won that possession by beating Mati Sissoko. Mm-hmm. And look, it was a great play. It was a tough make because the kid is gliding across the rim. It was not an easy conversion. I don't want to pretend it was, but it happened because he beat Mati Sissoko at the point of attack. And Michigan State was really, really bad 
at the point of attack in ball screen defense tonight, my opinion. And with Madi, it's frustrating because we have seen entire games where he's been very, very good in that area. And then we've seen some where he hasn't been. Tonight was an example of the latter, and it absolutely killed them. You know, you should be able to contain better than Michigan State did tonight. And it just didn't happen. And it really ended up biting them on that particular possession with the game kind of in the balance where they need a stop. They've just got to have one stop. And you knew what was coming. I would imagine you felt you knew sitting in the stands. Yeah. Boo boo. He's going to get this shot come hell or high water. And so your job as a defender is you make sure the shot he takes is a shitty one. And they didn't do it. So that's that to me is the essence of where it was lost. It was there. Yeah, and I would say too the other the other point was you know it's down it was a four point lead for Northwestern with maybe two minutes left or three minutes left, and we had four straight stops yep. on defense and couldn't and score four empty possessions. I yep. mean, and one was a great, I mean, there were some great looks like a three that just missed, like on, I want to say in transition, I think. And, and there's another two that looked like it was, uh, I think it was a layup or something. I, there were a couple of those that were really good possessions and you know, it well, was, I'm going to, I don't know if you're there. I'm a different okay. with you there. And here's maybe, why. Maybe I missed remember. Here's why. Um, as the game got into like the last eight minutes or so, where where was Michigan State at their best? I'll ask you. What was working for them offensively? Well, the, the, the best part of the game is when they had any sort of transition going. Uh, that's certainly in the first half. They were, they okay, were in the half court. Last, yeah, in the last half court, eight minutes or so of the game. It was, it was Hogard attacking, going in, go. and then kicking out somewhere. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. A.J. Hogard getting into the lane. Um, this is another thing where another area where – this team's got to grow up fast because to me, it's an example of a lack of maturity. If you think back to Cassius Winston's junior and senior seasons, I can go back and my favorite examples of this are the, um, the three games, particularly the one at Breslin where MSU beat Michigan that year. Mm -hmm. And what you will see when, when it's money time, and if you remember those games, MSU had to come back in all of them. So down the stretch, it was a lot like this, a lot of high-pressure, high-intensity possessions. Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman would run pick and roll, and they would go back and reset and do it again three times, four times in a possession, whatever it took to finally spring him. In this game, in those possessions you're talking about, Michigan State would run it once, Northwestern would recover and defend it. And then the ball would go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Can't have it in my, not in my opinion, in my opinion, it was very clear that the way they were going to get point production down the stretch in that game was AJ Hogard getting into the paint period. That's where it was happening. And so to me, you do whatever you have to do in order to make that happen. And if that means you got to reset and go at it again on a pick and roll and maybe a third time, okay, so be it. But you have to do it because nothing else, the other stuff they were running, 
just yeah. uh, those weren't in my mind they were i mean we, we differ on it i those in my mind those were wasted possessions and yeah guys may have gotten open or semi-open looks but they weren't what was needed what was needed was you get your point guard into the paint and let him either finish around the rim or kick out to a wide open shooter where you're going to get a high quality shot one or the other and they just didn't do it nearly enough in that stretch where you're right. They were getting defensive stops. It was all there for the taking and they didn't take it in my opinion, in part because of a lack of patience. And that falls. I hate to say it because at times he was their best player tonight, probably was their best player. But to me that falls on AJ Hogarth. He is the point guard. He's the guy with the ball in his hands. He has to grab that game by the throat and say, we're sinking or swimming with me getting myself where I need to be to force a defense to collapse. And he didn't do yeah. it. He didn't do it insistently enough. So, and I, obviously I'm not talking about him putting his head down and doing those yeah, fullback right. dives, which ended disaster. I'm talking about repeatedly doing it, running that until you get sprung free. That's what a mature point guard does. And I, again, I, I encourage anybody who doesn't know what I'm talking about, go back to the last four minutes or so of the game at Breslin in Cassius's junior year. And that is a prime example of what I mean. You do it, you do it, you do it until you get sprung. Cause nothing else, like I say, nothing else was really falling. You know, Hauser had gone cold, um, Tyson had been on the bench so long. I don't think you really felt great about him going and making a play. You know, it just, nothing else was going to happen. Yeah. And I mean, let's talk about AJ. We were not expecting this, but he did not start. And that was, uh, that right. was, I thought a that message, was a good move. A message Vince move. And, and I feel like AJ's game overall today was the best he's had. I don't know the season, but certainly he looked good most of the game. At least I think you're right in that he's maybe got some issues to work out as far as, you know, patience and things like that. But his attitude, his, his demeanor on the court and his intensity, I thought were pretty good. Uh, there were a couple of times when he, when it where they weren't good, but for the most part, I thought it was pretty, a pretty good performance. Yeah. He was, their, he was, okay. he was their best player. No, I don't, I don't disagree. That's, no, okay. I guess what I'm saying is because I agree, that's why I'm bothered by those, those possessions yeah, we were talking sure. about. Yeah. You know, um, he needed to be the guy. In, in fact, he needed to be the guy on that last possession. And he wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. um, you, you could still, even though if I were Northwestern, I'd say, look, the only thing that's a problem for us is, is giving up a three, but human nature being what it is, if AJ had managed to break their defense down on that last possession and gotten into the middle of the lane, I'm pretty certain some Northwestern defenders would have collapsed and he would have been able to kick to a, a more open shooter than what he had, than what MSU got. So even there, I would have liked to have seen it. Um, but yeah, he did some really good things. Uh, I, look, I think the whole team, give or take Jade Nakins, has a lot to be embarrassed about from a defensive perspective, though. And I don't think AJ escapes that. I mean, it might have been a better game than he's played lately, but I, the only guy who really stuck out to me defensively was Jaden Akins. 
everybody else I thought was substandard. Um, but overall, yeah, AJ was the best they had today. And I think, you know, Tyson Walker getting that fourth foul, I mean, that for a really hurt guard, that's really that's hurt. just a, there's just no point to, I don't understand what he was doing. He, he kind of, he was, I think, still frustrated from the, the offensive foul he got in the, was it the possession before, two possessions before? Because even when he got that foul, he just like, he, he was just wanting to get out of the game. It was kind of strange, his, like, his demeanor when he came, the foul. You know, I think his mentality is, if you remember that play, the defense broke down on a pick and roll and Baran got the ball at the rim. And yeah. I think Tyson's Tyson has, as he showed in the first half, Tyson can get up. Tyson's a better athlete than I think anybody anticipated. And I think yeah. his mentality was, and, and look, I'm not excusing it. See, veteran guard has got to be smarter than that in that situation. But I think he was trying to make a play. I think he was frustrated by the defensive breakdown and was trying to salvage a possession. Uh, it was a bad idea. The offensive foul that came before that was a weird play. And again, I don't know how much of it stood out live, but the reason he got called for it is it seemed as if his hand, he was kind of pushing the defender down, but, but the defender was falling. I, I don't know how much of that. I can understand why it was called because of the way that it looked. I don't know if it was actually much, if any contact, but whatever it was called yeah. you're in that situation. And yeah, it did hurt Michigan state because up to that point in the game, I think he was, he was settling in and I think he had six points at that stage, but it felt like to me, at least that he was their most dynamic guy offensively and was the guy no that question. was, cause AJ really hadn't picked it up scoring wise as of that point. Um, that came after Tyson went to the bench, but yeah, it definitely hurt them because you end up, I mean, I don't know how many minutes Jade Nakins played, but I'll guarantee it was more than they were anticipating 22. Yeah. yeah they were taught Izzo was talking about 15 yeah. in the pregame. So he played him a lot. Trey Holloman played a little more than he has been. Um, you're definitely playing Pierre Brooks a lot. And look, I mean, Pierre hit some threes, but he was also one of the cast of thousands who was pretty bad defensively. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, going in, you know, that's the equation until he starts figuring it out. You can count on blown tires, poor recognition, poor understanding, all of that. Um, amplifying the fact that he's not a particularly, he's not an athletically gifted guy to begin with on defense. So, um, yeah, I think that was definitely a critical stage in the game. You know, the other thing too is, although I don't think Tyson was great defensively either, I do think he was the guy that was the best answer overall for Boo Booey. Mm -hmm. And um, with him out of the game, that's, you know, it wasn't. And I say that mostly because he's the guy I'm most confident in terms of getting up over the top of screens, which is what you have to do with boo booey, because if you don't, he'll just pull and he can hurt you. Um, when Tyson's not in there, you were asking, you know, AJ or sometimes Trey Holloman and, uh, to do that. And that's just not as good a bet. So it, it definitely, I agree. It definitely hurt them. Yeah. And I think the other, the other turning point in the game was in the first half. We should say had a, a lead, you know, five to seven points to yeah. sometimes down to three. 
And then when Sissoko left, yeah, his ball screen defense wasn't great, but boy, they really struggled with Kohler. And then you yes. know, he tried a little turn with Cooper, and they just, I mean, just couldn't do it. It was. I, I say I, I highlighted Mahdi because of that last play, and it yeah. certainly wasn't the only one that he struggled in, but you're absolutely right. They were much worse with the two freshmen in there. You know, Mahdi's, the part of the reason I'm emphasizing that is Mahdi's got to be good because when he's not in there, it's it's tough. Um, you know, and I'm, and I'm going to say this, and again, it's not an excuse. It's just a statement of fact. The stats tell the story. The four games that Malik Hall, that Michigan State was at full strength, and so Malik Hall was playing, Michigan State was doing a very good job defensively. They were holding opponent, and, and keep in mind, they, were play, they played Gonzaga, they played Kentucky, and they played Villanova. Now, you could say none of those teams is what we've come to expect them to be in recent years, but I assure you, every one of those teams I just mentioned has much more in the way of offensive weapons than, say, Northwestern has. <laughs> yeah. And Michigan State was holding those teams under 40% from the floor. They were absolutely shutting people down from three. Um, and that is gone now. And I think getting Jaden Akins back, look, Jaden, it's going to take some time for him to, to get fully back up to speed. I think this, you know, start, stop, start, stop thing has done him no favors. Yeah. But in my eyes, he was the only guy whose defense I actually liked tonight. So I think his presence is going to help there. But um, boy, are they missing Malik Call in a host of ways. And I don't know. I mean, you just, I guess you've just got to survive this. You got to try and survive it, get him back, get him reacclimated. And you hope by the first of the year, you're in a position where you know, he's able to be the guy that he was in those first four games and Michigan state can get back to defending the way that they were, because right now they are a pretty bad defensive team. And that's after those first four games, they were in my mind, a very good one. So what's the common denominator, you know? Sure. You worry though, because you know, Michigan state looked like a really good defense team last season. And then Bingham was never quite the same and the team just never was the same. So you know, you can just have, you can have it going and then just lose that mojo. But there's obviously, to your point, it's, there's a guy missing and he was, and he's a good defender. So there's every reason to think and, that that's the key. And there's the a domino key. effect too, because yeah. if Malik Hall is there, that means other guys aren't playing in those situations. So not only are you getting a guy who's a better defender, who understands what you're trying to do better and can execute it better, but the guys, some guys at least, who are really struggling, you know, uh, Izzo made a comment about how and I'm paraphrasing here. I'll try to paraphrase this the other day in a post-practice um, interview. Uh, I saw him say something to the effect of, you know, it's, it's, it's that the guy who's um, making the mistake makes it, it's not just his mistake. It has an, a, a knock on effect because mm -hmm. other guys then even guys who might actually be good defenders or who might be in the right position at a given moment have to try to help and they get worse. Whereas a guy who does his job 
makes it easier for everybody else around him. You know, it's, it's not just a simple one for one swap out. It has more profound effects than that. Now you raise a, you raise a legitimate point, you know, it has to be Malik call back to the Malik call we saw in those four games. And we don't know yet what the, what it's going to look like, but I, I can tell you right now, that's the only thing that's really got me holding on to much hope because if this is going to be it, what we saw tonight and what we saw in South Bend, um, but but more far more troubling what we saw tonight, um, they're not winning very much. They're not yeah. because they don't have the kind of massive offensive horsepower to overcome that. You know, they've got to be able to check. And if you could do that, I mean, you, you need no better illustration of this than looking at the other team on the floor tonight. Northwestern's offensive numbers, absent of the, the free throw line stuff, were not great. I don't think that's a particularly good offensive team. I really don't. Um, even, even considering what those guards did, if you look at their shooting numbers from three, they were not good overall. Yeah. Um, how did they win? They guarded. <laughs> they they guarded you know i think that's obviously the free throw line helped too but i think the bigger deal is all that aside michigan state could have still won this game if northwestern came out and didn't defend but they did defend and they made it very difficult on michigan state to run their stuff and so michigan state has to take a page from that book and say we've got to become hard to play against because without that in the equation, I just I don't know I don't know that there's a, a good future in store. I mean, I yeah, hate to, I'm not been... getting I'm not talking I'm not nearly on the ledge enough to be talking about tournament bids or any of that nonsense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, it's you know it's early December, and this is a data point, and it's not a good one. I, well, and you know you look at you look at this team and. I guess, you know, with Malik Hall out, they've got to figure out a way to win. And you, you see, you've seen this many times, Michigan State, where you have an offense team that's maybe not great. They have struggled in half court sometimes, but they're always, they bring the defense. They win some games that you feel like they had no business winning. And you just, you just aren't seeing that right now. And I, I mean, my, my fear a little bit is that, yeah, you're going to get Malik back before Christmas, you know, if everything's on timetable straight, but you're really not getting Malik, you wouldn't think, until second week of January, maybe third, where he's probably fully acclimated back into shape. Yeah, and that's I mean it's it's generally what you see. Yeah, I mean it's, it's you're probably right, but it's guesswork. Yeah. Yeah. Well let's go through the five keys. Well, I guess unless you have something else to add. No, I, I was just gonna say as as I repeat something I said a few minutes ago, they gotta survive this. Somehow. Yeah, absolutely. Survival is for key. So the first, I don't think we really need to talk about the first key of the game, which was defense. I mean, I think that we kind of talked about that. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't good. Uh, second transition. I did think that when we got stuff going in offense, it was through transition. Now you look at fast break points on the Michigan State website and Northwestern had, I think, 15 fast break points, Michigan State nine. I think that seemed right. But I mean, because we really, there were a lot of secondary transition uh, buckets we got, but Northwestern got a lot of easy layups, especially the second half and some, yeah. you know, it's funny, like our turnovers are ones that really just were disastrous ones, which again, this is, it seems to be a, a trend when we have turnovers are really bad ones because 
you know, they're only, we turned over 12, 13 times and they had 19 points off. They had 22, oh, 13 points off, 13 turnovers. So they had a point off a turnover. I was going to say they had 15 fast break points. Those are mainly just off turnovers. It was, um, look, I I think that um, what we talked about in the pregame was you need to try to play in transition as much as you can because going against this team in the half court might be a struggle. Well, what we see, I don't think they did enough. I'd give Northwestern credit for a lot of that, but I don't think Michigan state, you know, we're, we're oriented to the Michigan state side of the equation. So the way I'm going to view it is whatever the reasoning, Michigan state did not do enough to make it easier on themselves offensively. Yeah, number three is perimeter shooting. We had uh, eight threes. We're eight for 22. Yeah, um, not terrible. It was not terrible, not great. There were some, a couple of looks that certainly should have fallen. A couple of more crazy ones for, with you know, the shot clock running out, which is a def, you know defective offensive set. I kind of removed those from the equation. I, I will actually say, I think, I think Michigan State did enough there. That, to me, is not an area where I look at it and say, well, they lost the game there. Not the case. They shot well enough from three. Yeah. You'd like some of those ones late to fall, but you know, overall I can't, I can't say that when you shoot whatever it was, 36, 37% from three, um, that that was a a big contributor to the loss. Um, yeah, we just said I, what what I remember saying in the pregame was if MSU has like a three for twenty type night, yeah, four for twenty. Yeah, right. They did that yeah. didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, they definitely hit enough. Uh, and then fourth is turnovers. We thought Michigan State might have an edge. Uh, it was pretty clear early on in the game. I turned to my wife and said, "Well, we're not going to have an edge here because we already." I think it was like two to two or three to three and and uh, and turnovers. And then again, I feel like a lot of our turnovers were just led to buckets the other way, especially yeah. more later in the game. Yep. I don't know. I mean, there was no edge there, certainly. It wasn't a disaster. I think it was 13 12. MSU at 13, Northwestern at 12. Um, but, you know, one thing that I did mention and was is part of what I think you're talking about. Remember that we discussed Northwestern defensively being fairly highly ranked in terms of turnover percentage, meaning their opponents are coughing the ball up a lot and they were number 42 in the country coming in, in steal percentage. Now, I don't know if they finished with this, but there was a point with a decent amount of clock left that they had nine steals. Do you have the yeah, steals with that front? They had, they, of our 13 turnovers, 10 were steals. There you go. That's man. That is, that is <laughs> something. So those of you who, have had problems with the lackadaisical or unforced errors that Michigan State seems to have um, over the years. You're not seeing it this year, and you didn't really see it tonight. But what you did see was a Northwestern team that was pretty aggressive, and Michigan State was just not strong enough with the ball. You know, some of those give them credit for making a play, but it was mostly on Michigan State making a bad decision, you know. Um, and you're right. I think they punished Michigan State with a high enough level of frequency that it, for those mistakes that it made a difference. Yeah. And finally, uh, rebounding. So rebounding, uh, we were out rebounded by one, 31 to 30. I think that's mainly because at the end of the game where we had a, a number of misses. But 
offensive rebounding, Michigan State finished with six, I think. Uh, eight offensive rebounds. So eight uh eight off of twenty two misses thirty two misses. So twenty five percent. Twenty five percent. It's not very good. And you know, Northwestern just had six, so off of twenty eight misses. So, you know, not really an edge that you'd hope to get there. They won it, but it was, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't by enough. Uh, you know, there's a strategic decision that has very clearly been made by Tom Ezzo, and this is something we haven't spent much time talking about. Um, but if you were watching them with uh, even a semi-keen eye, I think you're noticing it. You remember the old mantra, the old days, four to the boards? Yeah. There are a lot of possessions. Michigan State is zero to the boards these days. Yeah. Yep. They're not even competing for offensive rebounds. And it's weird. It's jarring watching it. Like I see a shot missed, and then I'm immediately struck by the fact that there are four opposing jerseys around the rebound and not a white or a green jersey in sight. And mm-hmm. it's jarring. But they are not competing for offensive rebounds. They've been much better this year on the defensive boards, which we, we've spent some time talking about. And tonight, statistically, another good example of that. You know, they didn't give up very much. But Northwestern's not really trying to test you. I think, I think the rubber's going to hit the road in that category when you start going up against the Purdue's and the Illinois and people like that who are actively trying to offensive rebound. We'll see how good MSU actually is on the defensive glass. But their offensive rebounding, I don't know. I mean, it, it may be that um, they're figuring with Hall and with Aikens having been out or limited that it's not a smart move with the guys they're playing to be crashing very much, but they are not getting the benefit of that. On the flip side, been much better taking care of the ball, so maybe it all comes out evenly in the wash. But um, yeah, they had no they had no real serious advantage on the glass to speak of tonight. Yeah, the only advantage of getting offensive rebounds, of course, is that the defense. I think generally out of position, right? Or you're getting a rebound close to the rim, and you can put it back up. And it's and- a cliche, but it's also one that it's a cliche because there's some truth to it. Um, I believe it's been proven out statistically that. As a general principle, three-point shooters tend to be more accurate shooting off an offensive rebound and kick out than they do through the conventional flow of the offense. So I don't if you if you as an observer, as someone who watches games, thinks, boy, it just seems that every time a team gets an offensive rebound and they kick it out to a shooter, the shot goes. Your mind is not playing tricks with you. I think it's actually considered to be the best perimeter shot you can take. So there's that. I think, look, we don't have to go through it. People have watched this program for 25 years and they know there's, there's an impact that offensive rebounding has where you, you can demoralize an opponent. You're obviously mm-hmm. getting multiple chances to score, which is always a good thing. Um, and sometimes you're getting a better quality of shot, as you say, because the other team's scrambling. Um, Michigan State is not getting much benefit from that right now in that area that's true clearly i mean they coming into this game i think they were in the 140s in offensive rebounding percentage which i haven't even looked but i have to believe would be easily the lowest of tom Izzo's tenure when tom Izzo had his first two teams that went to the nit um those teams 
we're good offensive rebounding teams. I mean, it's just, it's <laughs> always been the case. And the last couple of years, they haven't been great, but they weren't outside the top 100. So I don't know. I don't know if they, it, it sure is looking to me like it's a conscious choice. And I haven't heard anybody asking that question. Maybe that's something we can ask Mike Garland. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. We'll have, when we have him on the show, we could, we could ask him that. I mean, we know he hangs out with Tom Izzo quite a bit. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, you know, what this, what this exemplifies is that this team is not super deep in the sense that you have all these players, you can just roll the ball, ball out, right? You, when you lose your, when you're, you're two of your best six players, your, your team is not going to function properly. And that's just the case. And I, you know, as much as you want to have people come along, you're relying on freshmen or people who were basically coming in as freshmen, like even Sissoko. I mean, he's never really played. And so he's, you're, you know, everyone's kind of like learning on the fly, which is not a good way to do it when you're in, in the conference play now. People for, for a long time, I've heard a complaint from MSU fans that, um, oh, Izzo doesn't let guys play through mistakes. And, oh, Izzo doesn't, doesn't sink enough time into trying to develop young guys, and let them play through it, blah, blah, blah. Well, you're getting your wish because he really doesn't have a choice. You know, these guys are all, you know, Sissoko, Kohler, Cooper, Holloman, Brooks, Akins. They're all part of your rotation. So they have to play. And, you know, hopefully there are lessons being learned that come February are going to pay off. That's what you hope for. And, and certainly, if it goes without saying, you expect that they will pay off down the road in, in terms of next year or the year after that with these guys, you know. But right. um, for now, yeah, it's it's not pretty at times. And, you know, uh, the thing is, we've seen uh, – I'll uh, try to end this on a note of optimism. <laughs> we have seen this team play well this year at full strength. We have seen it. So in my, you know, I had really hoped they were going to find a way to squeeze out two wins in these two games, you know, these two conference games, and then just, okay, put your head down, get Malik back, get those nine days off where you could practice and, and work on you and, and all of that, and then restart mm-hmm. the big 10 and see where you're at. Well, clearly that's not happened. It, you know, it puts a little more pressure certainly on Wednesday night, going into um, uh, going into state, state college yeah, right. to try to get a win on the road against a Penn State team that I think is flawed, very flawed, but there are certain things they do well, and one of them that they do really well is they compete. You saw that last year with Micah Shrewsbury's team, and it's not yeah. any different this year. They are tough. They're not big, but they are tough, and they compete. And so – you know, with Izzo saying he felt like they got out tough tonight, which I'm not inclined to disagree with, um, they better find a reservoir of toughness soon because they're going to need it if they're going to come out of State College with a win. And frankly, I, I, you know, if they don't, you're off to an 0-2 start in the league. Yeah, it's it's not the end of the world, but it's, boy, it's a whole lot of not good. Yeah, I think, you know, it losing losing one at home to any team much less northwestern i mean you can't protect home part you've got to steal some on the road now and even when at penn state counts and so no it's not uh, yeah it's it this doesn't necessarily mean the end of the world i mean i can go back 
uh, Draymond Green's senior year, where they want to share the Big Ten title, um, they lost a home to Northwestern. You know, it's happened before, but we're not talking about that right now. We're we're talking about, you know, getting your getting your team in a spot where you can count on them game in game out. That's what's that's what's frustrating about it is. The Notre Dame game, okay, there were reasons, and I buy that completely. But this one, coming on the heels of that, what it does for me as I look at this is it, and I don't blame anybody else for feeling this way too, is it starts conjuring up feelings of the last two years. Yeah. Where you feel like, I don't know, we are so spoiled as Michigan State fans that for the most part, over the last quarter century, you have had a pretty good idea game in, game out, what you were going to see. Might not always be a win, but you knew certain things were going to happen. You knew that the odds were very strong that Michigan State was going to play at a certain level of competency with a certain level of toughness, all of those things, right? The last two years, what's probably been most disconcerting for me as a fan is that that feel that you're used to has not been there. Instead, it's been wildly inconsistent, and it worries me that we're seeing some signs of that perhaps again. Uh, maybe there, you know, there are reasons. Malik Hall, Jay Nakin's just coming back. Those are big reasons. But regardless, you just, uh, speaking for myself, you want to see that consistency return where you feel like you know you have good reason to believe that you know what to expect out of them yeah and right now there's reason to wonder about that yep absolutely yeah i felt like the first four games we had that where we kind of felt yeah it was a good start team four straight four straight games we saw the same team but let's not forget that i think people have forgotten this each of the two previous years michigan state got off to good starts you know, yeah. last year um, they were ranked going back and, and in good position. Go back. It wasn't even uh, in January. They won. I think they were four and oh, four and oh mm-hmm. or five and oh in the league to start. And then the roof kind of caved in a bit. You know, the year before they had those win- blowout went over Notre Dame at home. They beat Duke soundly at Cameron, you know. And all of a sudden, people think, oh, this team is going to be pretty good. And then again, the roof caved in. So we have seen this before lately. So uh, that's the, the charge that this team has, I think, is to not let that spiral into this pattern of inconsistency, but instead find that level again. And um, it'll be a lot easier to accomplish that when they get Malik Hall back. Yeah, well... We'll see if they've got that senior leadership that you hope they'd have with as many seniors they have and if they can turn that around. And that's what's frustrating about this is they've got veterans. They've got guys who have played a lot. A.J. Hogard, Tyson Walker, Joey Hauser. These guys have played a lot of basketball. There's just no – that was frustrating to me about that spate of possessions where A.J. didn't do the one thing that's been working and the decision Joey Hauser makes there at the end. That's why it's really frustrating. It wasn't Jackson Kohler out there making a mistake. It yeah. wasn't Trey Holloman making a mistake. It was your veterans, your leaders. Can't have it. 
Well, we'll be back in a day or so and have a pregame for the Penn State game, and hopefully Michigan State can bounce back from this loss to Northwestern Wildcats. Uh, I, boy, I don't know what else to say except um, if you do want to check out, find out, get a T-shirt for the show. They are pretty cool. Go ahead and go to our website, and I hope to have it up in a day or so, so maybe by the next time you check it out on Monday or Tuesday, it'll be there. Uh, so until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.